we're going to be looking at the Psalms today. Now, the Psalms are, they're, they're, a, they're a wonderful thing, aren't they? The Psalms uh, give us a, a, a journey through a, a garden, as it were, of God's grace, of his mercy, uh, of his unfolding plan of redemption, of both current and future visions of what the Lord is and how he will reveal himself in the future. It really does, the Psalms, as you journey through them, uh, they, they resonate both with the covenant, old covenant promises and even the New Testament revelation. And as we journey through it together, it's such a refreshing and regular time for us to be able to reflect and to praise and to prayer and to lament and to joy. That's why we go to the Psalms, don't we? Have you ever found your spot? Uh, you've, you're probably out camping somewhere. You're at, some, you're at some spot and you have your Bible and you're not really quite sure where to go. Where do you go? You go to the Psalms, don't you? Mostly because when you open your Bible, that's where it falls. But nonetheless, you go there because there's something about it, the poetry and the truth that resonates at the core of who we are. And so we get the opportunity then to, to join into the, the smallest, the smallest chapter in the Psalms, and yea, verily, the smallest chapter in all the Bible. As a matter of fact, I was uh, in prayer this morning with the elders, and I, I kind of said that, that Psalm 117 is actually kind of the spud web of the Bible, okay? Spud Webb, for those of you who don't know, was the five foot six NBA player in 1986 that won the slam dunk contest. Okay? He's a guy who was small in stature, but big in power and performance. And that's really where Psalm 117 falls. It's very small, but what we're going to find out today is that it's incredibly powerful. And I'm really glad that that joke worked as well as it didn't with the elders this morning. <laughs> Students are just Googling Spud Web right now, I understand. Let's stand together in the reading of God's word and unite our hearts together as we read Psalm 117. So join in there and let's look together and we're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at this wonderful, small, yet powerful psalm. The word of God reads, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask you that you would help us now as your people. Open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see the beauty of your word and that it move into our hearts that we might live in a manner that is worthy of the great calling that you have called to us in Christ Jesus. Be near to us now as we ask. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So let's look here. You're going to see several little moments in this call uh, to praise that comes out of Psalm 117. And that's really the first call is this call to praise. You can look there in your Bibles. It says, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all people. This idea of praise and, and extol has this idea of, of honor, right? 
that we understand what we mean by praise when you look at that, the way that I praise a really good breakfast burrito, right? That, that you look to the praise of when the Dodgers win. You, you look to praise when you see a beautiful sunset or when you praise when you're able to, to know when someone uh, serves or cares for you in a way that reflects the gospel. Praise in this context does align with those and yet in greater measure that it moves to honor, it moves to exalting, it moves to to taking something that you see and moving it to its highest regard in your heart and in your life. In this particular passage, it means to proclaim the truths about who God is and the work that he does from in our hearts, both in word and in deed. Here in Psalm 117, you can see that this praise, this exaltation, that there's a direct command that the exaltation comes from all nations. It comes from all nations. This idea is the word nations. When you look into the Hebrew, it has this idea of, of actually the Gentile nations. That when it speaks here that the call to praise is this call to praise not just for the nation of Israel, But this call here is the call for all nations, all peoples, to be able to raise and glory and honor for who God is and how he works among his people and around the world. As a matter of fact, to drive home this idea, if you were a a Hebrew reader of Psalm 117, you would see that the word nations means the Gentiles, and that word extol is actually a unique Hebrew word that also translates into the Aramaic. So as you're reading it, it's this call to praise is the praise among all the nations. The whole world is to be called into praise of God himself. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? How large and how great and vast the people of the world are? That we know right now that there are 8 billion people in the world, 200 countries, there are over 7,000 spoken languages, and this invitation for all the nations to praise the Lord reflects not only the fact that he is going to come and to call his, uh, call the Jewish people together, but also to invite the Gentiles into the promises of redemption. This is actually reflective of the Abrahamic covenant, isn't it? Again, put yourself into the mind of the Jewish readers during this time. This idea that God himself is calling not just the people of Israel, but all nations to come and to praise him because of who he is and his worthiness of praise. It's the fulfillment of, the, of Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Where it says that to God said to Abraham that he was going to be a great nation and that through him all the peoples of the world will be blessed. This reflection in the psalm shows another mark in that unfolding story that moves into the hearts of everyone who believes. The Messiah then. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. That it is through Jesus that all the nations of the world will be blessed. That it was through that line that God brought God, very God, to man, very man, in a way that would be able to proclaim the redemption of Jesus Christ. 
And as you look at that, that that's why in Romans 15, um, 8 through 12, it generally speaks of that, that main promise. And I'm going to look at that for just a moment. Look in your Bibles for there. If you look at it, Romans 15, uh, 8 and following, it says this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the, circumcision, to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Directly out of Psalm 117. So in this, in this passage, it's proclaiming that there is going to be a time where every tribe, tongue, and nation will give praise and honor to God. And the pathway to be able to do that is through redemption. We know today is through Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. All of these things are found in this very small yet powerful passage. We're able to understand that this, that this multi-ethnic culmination of the promises of God is what, is what we're being called to here. Isn't that a remarkable thought? That the fulfillment of Revelation 7, 9 through 10, that every tribe, tongue, and nation will one day bring honor and praise to God. Now think about that for a minute. That out of the 8 billion people of the world that God is going to call people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to proclaim him. That means that our Christianity is not um, myopically ethnic and cultural, but rather it's multicultural. That it spans all different kinds of cultural and, and national um, Entities and identities. Why? Because the supra-identity is found in Jesus Christ. And that is why that the beauty of who God is cannot be celebrated by just one nation. Have you... <laughs> one of the things that I enjoy very much is food. I don't know if you know this or not, but I do. I enjoy food a lot. I enjoy all kinds of food. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that I enjoy about food is that all of the nations of the world also have food. And I'm able to enjoy Thai food and Mexican food and Indian food. Not all on the same day, right? But I do. I enjoy them, right? I savor them, right? I <laughs> And sometimes I praise them, right? I talk to my food. You are so good. I, this is wonderful, right? Imagine all the different ways that you can enjoy and celebrate spices and flavors and preparation. The delight of all of the different ways that you can enjoy food. Are you with me? You're like, wait a minute, lunch isn't for a while. Okay, anyway. It really does celebrate, doesn't it? The mass diversity and the beauty that's found in this world in a way that's accessible to us. Now imagine, as the psalm writer writes, that one day all of the diversity and beauty and creativity of all the nations, of all the people all around the world 
is going to celebrate and to proclaim one, and that is Jesus, and that is God. And so we're able to, then to be able to join with and to see how great our God is by the sheer fact that it's going to take a whole world of cultures to be able to creatively proclaim how beautiful he is. Now here's another thought is that what it also does is it also reflects how we are able to enjoy him and to proclaim him in our own local churches. That our local churches, what unites us is not all of our cultures. What unites us is the body of Jesus Christ. That we're able to enjoy one another, to celebrate one another, to, uh, to be able to investigate into it and to really find an interest in one another. Because we can see who Jesus Christ is and our identity reflect in who you are. Whether it be multi-generations, whether it be multi-cultures, that what we can do is we can celebrate and enjoy who God is in and through how he's redeemed you and your personalities and your cultures to be able to proclaim the great creativity and vastness of our God. One last thought on this that I've been reflecting on recently. Have you ever thought about how odd, how odd a Sunday morning parking lot is? And what I mean about that is this. If you are an unbeliever and you come to this church, it makes no sense why all of us would gather together. Have you ever thought about that? There isn't anything that would, that would call all of these different people from different, from different walks of life to come together on one Sunday. Pickleball is not big enough to get us all there, right? But rather, it is the unity of Jesus Christ. When you come in and people say, why in the world do all these different people come together with one voice and one heart? What is it that binds their hearts together? Psalm 117 says, what binds our hearts together is the praise and glory and honor of our great God. And this is the story of redemption. The story of redemption is, is creation in Genesis 1, the fall of sin in Genesis 2. Redemption then, then comes to God's people in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and then one day consummation and revelation of every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the great beauty of what God has called us to. And so it, it begins to answer the question, um, how do you fit in all of that? Have you ever thought about that today? About how this great story of what God is doing in his unfolding plan of redemption, this grand story now reframes your story, doesn't it? Doesn't it begin to allow you to see that your days are a part of what God is doing for the end of days? Does it bring purpose, belonging, Joy to be able to know that you have been included into this unfolding plan of corporate praise, not because of anything that you've done, not because of anything you've deserved, but only because of the gracious work of Jesus Christ that you've been able to be called into this story. And it begins to bring purpose and joy. How do you define your world? How do you think about your world? Well, one of the things that I, that I, um, I committed to do with my firstborn 
And again, right, for every firstborn that you have, you always have these long-standing things. So hashtag poor Sam. But, you know, I had this long list of things, you know. It's like he was, he was going to play the piano. He was going to be a professional baseball star. You know, he was going to be the most well-rounded, you know, um, renaissance man of all time. And then over time, you're like, a child can't bear all of this. So, you know, but one thing stuck. There was one thing that I was able to do with him that I was able to do with the others, which is that during their seventh and eighth grade year, I wanted to take them internationally to go and to serve in the context of a local church. And the reason why I did that specifically is because during your junior high years, your world is very small, isn't it? It's very, very small. And I wanted to take my children and to, and to help them to see that their God, that one, that the world is a lot bigger than their junior high quad. And that also that their God is a lot bigger than even what they've experienced in the context of our family. And that, that people around the world worship the same God that we worship around our dinner table. And as we gather on Sunday, that there are people around the world that worship that same God to, uh, to his glory and grace. And that we get to be able to be a part of that. And then that transforms, doesn't it? Your everyday life. So this call to praise is this call to, a, to join in God's unfolding plan of redemption to call all the nations to himself. And might that, might that encourage us today? We prayed this morning for Kim Guest, didn't we? And as she's going and serving around the world that this body and others, and others around join with her to be able to proclaim and to bring the glorious news of the gospel to all the peoples. To understand that right now that there are about 2 billion people right now that have never heard the word of Jesus and that we get to be able to have the opportunity to share that with them. So let's look back at our text. Not only that's the, that's the call of praise, now let's look now to the cause of praise. Why? If you're tracking with me, you're like, why in the world? What is so great about God that we would worship him in this way? How is who God is merit this kind of global multi-ethnic praise? Well, I'm glad that you asked. And it's here in the text. It says there, for great is his steadfast love towards us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. This word steadfast love, it's stating there that God describes himself in his steadfast love and his faithfulness and that it endures forever. His steadfast love is this Hebrew word hesed, probably one of only three words that I remember um, parsing out in seminary. Now I just highlight and right-click, but back in the day, I remembered them. And so the steadfast love, it, it really has this, uh, this root word of translating mercy. It, it encompasses the idea that, that, that God makes a covenant, merciful promise to his people that he has a, a, a loyal love, that it's a promise that's given. It, it has covenantal talk. It has contractual talk. But in that contractual talk, it has beloved family devotion. So it's a promise. It's a, it's a, it's a binding covenant that is made between family members. And that is this idea of steadfast love, that he makes a promise a binding relationship with family and friends and kingdoms. That, that's what steadfast love is meaning here. It's stating that God is a God who makes 
covenantal promises with his people. Not only does does he make these kinds of promises, but he's also faithful. Do you see that there? And the faithfulness of the Lord. This idea of faithfulness really comes with trustworthiness. That not only does God make a covenant promise to his people, but that he also, he also is trustworthy. That he's a God who keeps his promises. So here that we're able to praise the Lord because he is a God who has made covenantal promises to his people and he will be faithful to complete it. These two ideas are coupled together to describe God more often than any other descriptor in all of the Bible. That this idea that God is is steadfast in his love and faithfulness, steadfast love and faithfulness, as a matter of fact, it's really interesting that, that when Moses asked God to reveal himself to him, that he revealed himself out of Exodus 34 as a God who is steadfast, and faithful. There's one thing today that we can be reminded of and be encouraged in is that the God of whom we place our hope, the God of whom we place our love is one who is covenant-keeping and trustworthy. We understand that, that God himself, again, has been revealed through the messianic promises of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is is the um, three-dimensional fulfillment of the promises of God. Remember out uh, out of John 1 where it said that the word became flesh? The promises of God were revealed to humanity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. These promises that were given by the Abrahamic covenant, that there would be a pathway for that God's people could be redeemed as his own, their sins forgiven and brought into covenant love with them. The promises of that are revealed in Jesus Christ. And that kind of promise, that kind of steadfast love and faithfulness, we know and experience today through the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is God, very God, and who is worthy of all of our praise. The salvation for Jesus Christ is for our good and the praise of his glory. If you ever want to study something, look at how many times that when Jesus is mentioned and salvation is mentioned, that it always ends with to the praise of of his glory. That the point of redemption is not just to save a people from their sins, but to collectively bring praise and honor and glory to a God who is worthy. You ever thought about that? That salvation and why the pathway that God has chosen in those moments that either you're right before you go to sleep or you're at a bonfire at a beach, which I think are like the like two places where you have deep thoughts, right? That and brushing my teeth, to be honest with you. Those are my three places where I go, man, that's a good idea. You know? When you're thinking for a moment about these things, that you think for a second, why? Why would God unfold redemption the way that it is? Because those of us who have been redeemed from sin that we have a way to praise our God in ways to extol his character and faithful, steadfast love in ways that bring him honor and glory and praise than if we did not know the depth and the condemnation of our sin. Is your heart refreshed in that? Is your heart encouraged in that? 
that the God of the universe has brought redemption and has brought joy and that his character that has been given to you comes with a covenantal promise of steadfast love and faithfulness that he will never be untrue. This work of salvation is so beautiful that, that it actually comes in all kinds of circumstances. Do you remember that? From Pat's prayer this morning? That we are able to actually find joy in our suffering? The reason why we're able to find joy in our suffering is because we know that in our suffering, there is one result that happens. Is that it increases our praise. Have you ever thought about that? That the joy of suffering comes on the backside of our assurance. That we, on the backside of suffering, that we're able to look back and to say, yes, that God's promises are true, that he is, that his steadfast love is sure, and that his faithfulness is sure, and that I am his, and that our praise increases through the valley and the hardships of our suffering. And doesn't that motivate our actions to, uh, to live and to move and to, and to care for others? Because in this passage, it's talking about that God's words are, are faithful, that they're trustworthy. You know, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5, it says that God has given us his divine promises and, and through them, through them, that we're able to escape uh, the evilness of this nature and to be able to experience what it means to know and to follow Jesus Christ. That he's given us everything for this life and godliness through his word, his revelation to us. And the question becomes that we are able to follow that because we trust it. Trusting in God's promises is the motivation for following him in loving obedience especially in the context of suffering. That it is in the, the hope of God's promises that gives us the ability to make choices today that bring him honor and glory and us joy. And in those moments, if we were honest, right? In those moments when we don't, the only reason why we don't follow the clear revelation of God and his word is because we're not quite sure if he's going to follow through. Have you ever had that thought? Am I the only person that's had that thought, right? That somehow there's some sort of like fine print in the Bible somewhere in Leviticus that I didn't read and that I'm going to obey God's promise. Like, yeah, but uh, you forgot to do this one. And so therefore, I'm not going not to fulfill my promises, right? But God doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. But in the end, our motivation to live and to follow and to give praise to our God is because we know that his promises are true. And that gives us courage to be able to lean into suffering, courage to be able to move out into obedience because we know that the cause of our praise is the steadfast love and the faithfulness of our God. It really is talking about worship here. That in the end, that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be motivated to obey out of what you love. That what you love, <laughs> what you love is based off of, based off of the truth, the truth of what you've experienced and what you believe. 
And that sort of love then motivates things. So it really comes down to this act of worship. Are you tracking what's happening here in the psalm? He's saying, listen, I want to I extol you to give praise to our God. And then he says that you can praise God out of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And then we today, that we can say that every single area of our life can be an expression of praise. That in the end, we're going to either love something that is God or we're going to love something that's not God. As a matter of fact, a lot of our older saints would join with me in, in, in stating that, uh, man, the, the longer that you live, that the promises that are in the brochure of sin just aren't as good as they proclaim themselves to be. That the longer that you live, that the sinfulness of sin is not in its promises of pleasure, but the sinfulness of sin in its promises of to satisfy. And so here in this passage, it's saying, listen, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of God is always going to come true. And not only is it going to come true, it's going to be better. That the promises of God and fulfilling them and moving towards him through a heart of worship is so much better than the fleeting pleasures of sin. We get the opportunity to enjoy and to move and to, and to refine our hearts into loving obedience to him. The question is not, um, do I worship? Because that's not here in the text. The text assumes that you're worshiping something. And the text calls us to worship that which is worthy to be worshiped which then we give of our life and our efforts and our emotions and our time to exalt that which is worthy of our praise and that which is God himself. So the question for us today is not do I worship, but the question is what do I worship? The causes and responses to praise is the nature and character of God himself who is the highest object of our praise. Have you ever considered your praise? Have you ever thought about it? What is it that you love? What is it that you're drawn to? What is it that motivates who you are and what you do? That, that, that for us to be able today to refine those praises together? A lot of times, a lot of times that our praises are defined by our experiences, right? You know, um, early on when I was here in Santa Clara, you know Coco's on the top of Lions, right? You know Coco's? Gogos used to have a prime rib special. Mm, so great. Prime rib special. Seven night. Why am I talking so much about food? Good night. Sheesh. I started intermittent fasting. That's why. I'm telling you right now. That's what happened. That's what's happening in this moment right now. Anyway. Prime rib dinner. Coco's. $7.99. With a baked potato and a salad bar. Okay? Fantastic. What do you want today? I want me a little Coco's prime rib special, $7.99. You'll go up there, got my prime rib. I mean, it's the best. Hey, where do you want to go? Come on, I know a spot. Coco's, $7.99, prime rib with a big potato and a salad. Then one day, somebody took me to Lori's prime rib in Beverly Hills. 
I went there and they came out, $150,000 thing cart comes out. The way that you order at Lori's Prime Rib, the waitress comes up and says, will you be having the fish, right? <laughs> Say, no, great. Then they bring the meat to you, okay? You stand there and you go and you have this prime rib that is cut off of, I mean, it's fantastic. And you go and you eat it and it is just so delicious. I mean, just fantastic. Spinning salad. Then I went back to Coco's. <laughs> Tasted like shoe leather, right? I mean, it's like, it's like eating my shoe. Yeah, it's like, what's going on? Baked potato is dry. <laughs> we prize what we enjoy. And so many times the reason why we don't worship God is because our palate is satisfied on lesser things. Now we're able to, in this passage, to open up the palate of our souls to taste and to see that God is not only good, but he's better. And he's worthy of our praise because of his steadfast love and of his faithfulness. And this is what we know, that we prize what we know. Do you know him? The reason why we move towards, again, the reason why we read our Bibles, the reason why we gather together is not because we want to be able to be a better Christian or that's the Christianly thing to do. The reason why we meet together, the reason why we're in the habit of gathering, why we go to the scriptures and in prayer is because we want to feast on the beauty of who Christ is, and to be able to see that revelation, to be moved into our hearts so that on a Thursday afternoon, we can say praise to the Lord Jesus Christ for his steadfast love and his faithfulness to all generations. And I get to be a part of that in God's unfolding plan of redemption among the nations. And that can happen anywhere, anytime. In those moments when you come home and you're tired and you don't want to do the dishes. And the only reason why you move towards that is because you want to be a blessing and honor to those who are around you. Do you remember the first time where somebody came and served you here at church? That they moved towards you, that they reached out into your heart, that they, made a they met a practical need, and in that moment you did not praise them, did you? You praised the God of whom they represent. Because you know that nobody would do those things. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says that it is Jesus Christ who has redeemed my heart and therefore I don't think of myself anymore but rather I live life into the praise and honor and glory of my God. Imagine all of those moments, the cumulative effect of that in your life. Does that not drive your heart to taste of him more? Then might it be here for all of our hearts. Now we get to look uh, further at the command of praise. You didn't know all this was in these verses. I tell you, there's a lot in here, right? Lastly, the command of praise. The command of praise. This praise is not an option, but rather it's a response to the nature and character of God and his work among his people. The sum total of what has been revealed in this passage, the cumulative effect of that is the logical response, and that is praise the Lord there at the very, very end of the chapter. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord there is the Hebrew word hallelujah, which you know it's the compound word that, that really parsed out states praise the Lord. This is, this is an imperative. This is a command. Everyone, everywhere to praise the Lord. This command of praise is not only because it's right, but because it's better. This praise and honor that's given to God is the completion of our joy. The completion of our joy is able to share our joy. Think about that for a minute. That the things, everything that you share and that you enjoy, the completion of your joy is sharing it with someone else. You enjoy anything. And what do you want to do? You want to tell somebody about it. And that when somebody else enjoys and sees something that you enjoy, that completes the loop of your joy. How much more so should we be sharing the praise and the honor and the glory of our God in every relationship and in every area of our life? The reason why we do what we do is because in the end, we get to experience and to praise our God and that we get to invite others to do the same. So thinking it through that this process of true worship in the living God is just not limited to Sunday morning, but it's all of our activities that are directed to honor and fear and give reverence to him. This is what it means out of Ephesians 4 to walk worthy. To walk worthy is this idea of walking or, or living in a manner that is equal to the gospel and the praise and the glory of who God is. And that equalness, that ordinariness of life is what this passage is calling us to. So as we think about these things, I want to, it's a great uh, quote, great quote by C.S. Lewis. It says this. It says, I think, quoting, quoting C.S. Lewis, I think that we delight to the praise of what we enjoy because the praise is not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is an appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling each other how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. If it were possible for the created soul to fully to appreciate, that is to love and delight in the worthiest object of it all and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight a perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme blessing. It is then the Scotch Catechism that that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That really is the call of this praise and in this psalm. That we get the opportunity to do that together. Here as a body of believers, individually in your homes and in your marketplace, that you get the opportunity to, to sing and to give praise to the Lord, to extol him among all the peoples, and that you're able to do that because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness that you have tasted of and that you seek to live out and to enjoy even more. And so therefore, the command today, this one imperative at the end of the verse is do that. Praise him. Worship him in the ordinariness of life and that you will find your soul completed in its joy. And that in the end that you will join with all peoples one day to give him praise and honor and glory forever. When I was a kid, I would, um, I would set up dominoes. This, again, was a long time ago when the earth's crust was hardening and there was no internet, right? <laughs> Where um, we had all these dominoes because my mom loved to play dominoes a lot. And we would always at some point or another 
lose a domino, okay? So then she'd buy another one. Then we'd lose a domino, buy another one. So my brother and I, we would stack up all these dominoes all over our room. I shared a room with my brother, Matt, and we would set them all up, and we'd spend hours just send them all up, and then we'd hit, and we'd go, and then it would, like, stop, right? It's usually why it would stop is that there was, like, there was usually a domino missing there, just one little domino that would miss, and, and then we'd go, okay, then we'd have to set it all back up and put the domino in there, and then we'd go, and that would miss, and then it was a little domino there, and I'd put that in there, and we'd set it all back up. Sometimes our minds and our hearts are like little strings of dominoes. They're, they're thoughts that make sense. Oh, I understand how this works, and it moves to here. And then sometimes there's these gaps. You don't really know where, where, how they connect. But every once in a while, isn't it true that the Lord gives you something, just one thought that connects different things together, that connects who you are with who God is and what you do every day, that kind of makes connections and starts to advance who you are. My hope is today that somewhere in this very, very small domino piece in the Bible, chapter 117, that the Lord might find just one truth or one thought that connects things in your heart so that you might join with this psalm to give all God praise and honor and glory. And that collectively, Placerita Bible Church would continue to be steadfast in that very thing. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Lord, you are great and powerful. You're worthy of all of our praise. And I want to ask, oh Lord, that you even today that you would allow our hearts to grow and to, to move into new expressions of what it means to give honor and glory to you. And so now, Lord, even as we transfer our hearts to reflection in communion before you and with these people, that you would awaken our hearts yet again, that as we taste of these elements, that we're reminded that we have been redeemed into a great peoples that bring you honor and praise and glory. So, Lord, open up our hearts towards this end as we've reflected today. And we praise you for it all. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.